It's episode 32 with the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown coming to you live um, in the middle of depression season. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the, 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 the little pump episode where we listen to emo rapper from SoundCloud. It's Lens flying solo this week, actually, but with a special guest, Tom Bellows, joining us on the show once again. How are you doing, Tom? Doing great. Um, as, as happened last time, when Tom's on the show, that means we've basically been elim- eliminated from another knockout competition. So, <laughs> of course, this is the season where it comes crashing down and it does hurt inside. Doing all right. Doing all right. It's one of those days. It's been one of those seasons, actually, I feel like. It's just been one of the, it's been it, it, It's been, like, what, three months since the season began, but it, it feels like three decades, basically, since we've seen some passing semblance of really half-decent soccer from this team. And the RSL game was, was like, what, two weeks ago? And yeah. we were riding really, really high and really good feelings from that, weren't we? And like you said, it all came to an end in the place where dreams go to die. Talon Energy oh, Stadium in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Whoa, nice. Sorry. Chester, Pennsylvania. The worst mm. place in the world. I mean, if you can out shit Camden, New Jersey as the biggest shithole in the South Jersey area, like what the fuck kind of shit? You need a standing ovation for that one. Yeah, seriously. My goodness. Just nuke Philadelphia. Thank you. Oh, wait, the oil, ref- I guess that's what they had, the oil refinery blew up, right? They were trying to do us a uh, yeah. service blowing up yep. Philadelphia. <laughs> Philadelphia did it itself. God bless them. Never said it never did anything for us. Yeah. Wow. Greatest thing to ever happen in the history of the state of Pennsylvania, bar none. Uh, Fernando isn't here this week. Um, poor one out for the homie. He's uh, been, he's, he officially got killed by Chris Harmus. So, uh. Tom has to kind of stand in for that. But Armis out, all, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Chris Karmis comes for us all, you know. Like, I'm just going to be at work one day. And my manager's going to tap me on the shoulder and said, oh, hey, uh, you've been replaced by this guy. He's going to make Con relate, like, my replacement about a month into my job. So. <laughs> Man. It's, I mean, let's... It's sad, but it's true. I mean, let's begin, shall we, with what has been, I think, the most I've been embarrassed to watch this fucking team since, I don't know, like, since the 2016 Montreal playoff home game, okay? The entirety of 2017 was kind of whatever, because that was sort of like, um, the bad taste of that got kind of washed out of my mouth with uh, how great 2018 ended up being. But mm-hmm. I think if you can objectively look at how this season has progressed, it's just been an absolute shit Sunday with a Maltaser in the center to make things kind of sweet, followed by an even larger shit Sunday that got served to Earth. Uh, t- but in three days, I think, uh, when we played Philadelphia and then New England in the Open Cup. I mean, I don't even know like how to like describe just... All of this, the, the 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 feeling of numbness that I've just had to deal with, like in the aftermath of this fucking shit show. But I think it basically boils down to the fact that I think anyone who had high standards for this club, and by high standards are referred to the standards that were shown 
the club was capable of last year. If anyone wanted to behold that club to that standard of play, I think how this season has transpired has been nothing short of just unacceptable shit. And I'm going to be... I'm not going to like call like a horse like a fucking unicorn or anything, but this is calling a horse like a fucking... Uh, I don't know, like boxer from Animal Farm after he's been sent to the glue factory levels of shit. Like <laughs> it's, um, I mean, shall we begin? I mean, look, I mean, it, it, the it, it's barely summer solstice, and we have one trophy to play for, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, ambitiously, about, yes. You talk about hashtag five trophies being a thing at the start of the season. That's gone. You talk about defend our fortress, hashtag fortress RBA, the best place for a pure soccer experience in the tri-state area. That's gone. We've dropped an unbelievable amount of games at home. We've dropped an unbelievable amount of games at our home away from home, MSU now, apparently. Yeah, and that's sure. a whole other fucking shit show. Uh, we've... I mean, yeah. I mean, let's go after the business app, shall we? I mean, like the fucking game day experience at red bull arena this year is a fucking piss take all your fucking kiss cams and shit like i i genuinely half expect like ninja the fortnite player to be coming out at halftime and leading the and leading like the fans and like some fortnite dances so why in the name of christ like did we somehow manage to turn what was at some at this point last year probably the cutting edge in mls not just in terms of the sporting package right what was being done on the sporting side but also in terms of the game day presentation right we're just a very nice pure modern stadium where you could enjoy 90 minutes of great high octane soccer that all got turned around within the space of two months after chris armas got binned by tata martino in the mls cup playoffs and that to me is fucking amazing at how quickly it seems to have all fallen apart right um Mm -hmm. I mean, where do you want to begin, Tom? Like, uh... it's all been bad. Is what <laughs> it seems like this team collapsed in on itself within just a millisecond of adversity. We hit, um, like last year, we had the the Atlanta game, and many people have been like, kind of like realizing that 2018 was the year we were all in. Like, we had all these achievements, and like we did. We had a lot of achievements, but I tend to view the progression of this club as not like linear stop at season end and then, oh, total whiteboard is clean. Everything's completely different. 2019. I don't kind of subscribe to that theory because that seems counterintuitive to the idea that we have a project going and it seems counterintuitive to what we've experienced um, since even since 2014, 2015, the turnover for that. Um, so it, it's we've been kind of very much shown that there is a plan. There has been like a cycle that we go through. This year, we've completely broken off. We are kind of sitting here like there's hopes and dreams somewhere that we're like putting our hands through this giant Lego pile to find like hopes and dreams small brick and the rest of it is pulling out like three two losses while we were leading in two consecutive games um 
Yeah, like it's, stepping on Lego bricks, right? Like instead of pulling them out, stepping on Lego bricks. Those yes. Yeah. And like we're a team um, that has made a semifinal in any in various competition. 2018, we made the semifinals of Concacaf Champions League. 2017, we made a final in the Open Cup. And you look in even even MLS Cup, even MLS Cup, we've made the semifinals in 2014. 15 and 18. So we made a semifinal almost every year except 2016. Um in in this t- in this current timeline. Every year since 2014 we've been in the semifinal. Um and do you think we're going to reach that again? Like that's th- the standard of this club should be at the very least you make semifinals in one of your competitions that you are partaking in. And in in this year we got we beat a semi-pro team in Atletico Pantoja, um, in Concacaf Champions League round of sixteen, and then we got dunked on, windmill dunked on, in um Champions League. So that okay, so be it. That's done. And then we come come to um this season, which you know this season's Open Cup run, which was gone before it started. We play a completely. Uh, people will say it was a reserve team. It wasn't. Every single one of those players, except Buckmaster, has dedicated first team minutes and is a first team player. It was not a reserve team. It wasn't a B team. It was a team of first team players that know what their job is and have been here long enough. Um. So that so that team goes out there at MSU Soccer Park and just doesn't get it done. Um people you can speculate on other reasons like the subs, we'll get into that later, the sub subs positioning, but th- that we lost in the first round which first round MLS teams can enter. And that was embarrassing. Uh, so you, you look at what what other trophies like I said we have to play for. Supporter shield probably not not a real thing. Um we're not running we're not running that back. So that leaves us with MLS Cup, and to make MLS Cup, you got to make the playoff. It seems like we will. The most of the teams in the East are questionable, but you can't take it. You can't be like, oh, for sure we'll make it. Like for sure we'll be there. We can't take that attitude anymore. It's it's that, and that's how far the season sunk from last year, hoping that we were about to make on the cusp of we were the greatest team MLS has ever seen. Um. And now we're just doing the same thing like, ooh, hope we make it. I hope everybody has fun. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, okay, I mean, I guess we'll, I'll, I'll kind of phrase this as being like, I clubs under the Red Bull Global umbrella, I guess, aren't prone to like a occasional step back. There will be down years even within like the, there will be down years uh, within the greater context of this project. We had one in 2017, after all. Uh, you could argue that maybe 2016 was a slight step back, but that was a relatively successful year because we did finish like first in the East last year. But mm-hmm. I think like when you talk about dramatic step backs, I mean, like even within that first year, then that second shield year from 2015 to 2016, right? Like even though we kind of, started kind of slow like that year as well with that one and six start and we kind of kicked things into gear um i think uh, it was around this time of year right june or july we just kind of clicked and we went on a 20 game undefeated streak to end the season like Mm -hmm. we at least had a glimpse a taste of like that dominance that 
um, that had had the season before. Now you had a club that achieved so much more in 2018, right? Hit a mm-hmm. high that was literally the best regular season the league had ever seen in the history of um, soccer in America. Yes. And when you're taking a step that high, where you are literally become the benchmark for which every subsequent season would be matched to, and you take an even bigger step back from 18 to 19 than you had from 15 to 16, right? Despite mm-hmm. returning 10 out of 11 of those starting players from that team that achieved so much in 2018. You really have to start to wonder if the manager's doing his job. And from what we've seen so far, around the time of Champions League, I know I was very adamant about this, that we had to kind of give Armis some time. There was this hope that, okay, I mean, maybe he would would just kind of uh, learn from these mistakes because there was some indication last year that he would adjust when the time kind of called for it and that he'd, um, what is it, and that he would, you know, that he'd kind of come across like a formula sooner or later, right? Just because I think there was some semblance that some transition would be expected considering the loss of Tyler Adams and now I guess the decline of BWP up front. But the problem is is that we haven't really seen that from the manager yet. And there's only so many times where you can see this team – snatch defeat from the jaws of victory this year, right? That you could barely, that you barely saw last year, you know? And that, the fact that so many of these defeats have happened at home and these weren't, and a lot of these defeats that happened at home weren't even us like just kind of blowing it within the last five minutes of the game. No, it was just them looking turgid and letting the opposition just kind of shit all over them, right? That, that's kind of been the nature of these losses at home, like prior to um, this loss in the Open Cup this year. And then you kind of add the loss in Philadelphia, and you add the loss in New England on top of this, where now even though the offensive woes that seemed to kind of slow us down earlier in the season behind us, that now when we are playing our depth defenders, right? In and in a part of the season that everybody saw coming before a ball was even kicked this year, right? Wasn't everybody surprised. knew fucking Copa America was happening. Everybody fucking knew that the Gold Cup was happening. Everybody knew that the African Cup of Nations was happening as well. We knew that all three of these tournaments were going to be happening. And the preparations that we had in the offseason to prepare for that. I mean, I'm not even going to use the word prepare, I think, in context of um, what ended up kind of being trotted out. I mean, Amro was a great pickup, but that was like it, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to MLS-ready like defensive um, reinforcements, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we thought Kyle Duncan coming back would kind of help things. He's had a bit, he, but as a, because of the, the manager's dumb fuckery, it's kind of ruined his confidence quite a bit, being played out of position a lot, being forced uh, to uh, try and compensate for his uh, lack of a lack of a left foot on the left wing, 
and just generally not having a great time at it where he's kind of looks like he's a bit lost and low in confidence now. And on the other wing, you have a guy who everyone saw as a fucking liability going into the offseason this year, being heavily trotted out and playing over much more talented players like Amir. Like, this is, this is where you kind of have to, like, just... The, 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 the problems with this stretch run to me are very simple, right? When it comes to this part where the lower defensive depth cost us, it kind of comes down to Dennis Hamlet not properly... Um, what is it? Not properly judging talent that can contribute at an endless level defensively properly and not having the nuts to make some hard decisions with some guys to kind of just, you know, cut them loose and bring someone in to, uh, you know, who can pick up that met at a little bit more. That's the part that kind of falls in Dennis. Not enough was done to reinforce the defense going into the season. Everybody knew it, right? And we lost two defensive slots. Yeah. We lost two defensive players from the end of last year and, to, to right now. And here's the thing is that, like, we, like this is w- off of, like, uh, call-up, you know, a call-up ske- a, a call um, schedule. Sorry. Um, the series of call-ups that happened for these tournaments ended up kind of benefiting us because the mm-hmm. assumption coming into this season was that we could be losing both Long and Parker over this run because of the Gold Cup. We kind of got a get-out-of-jail-free card when Parker didn't, you know, get slotted. So that kind of looked a bit better. But then you also, but then when you look into the offensive side and you kind of realize that Kaku could have been gone for this period as well. And if Amro had kind of played really well to start the season, he could have been called up to Egypt to play in AFCON, which kind of starts around now as well. And you, you kind of look at the, uh, what is it? You kind of look at what's left over in the pot in the event that the best or worst case scenario happened and all those guys get called up to their respective national teams and you realize that the back line would have been Sean Nealis and Preston Kilwine because Jordan Scarlett got yeah. called up for to, to, to Jamaica didn't he? Yes. Even though he didn't well, make he, the he final roster. The camp. He, yeah. he didn't make the but final he was, roster. But he was gone for a few, day, yeah. for, for a few games. Day. Correct. And that, was the, and that just happened to be the games where we would be away in Philadelphia and playing New England oh. in the Open Cup. So don't forget, Duncan got called into the U twenty three camp yeah, for, for a week. U twenty three camp as well. I mean, we we we, we knew that this was going to be the toughest part of the season, and the most demanding part of the season, definitely on what was already a very thin roster in defense, and it seems to have just yeah. kind of snuck up on them, like. So so why are these guys getting paid like six figure salaries to run the soccer team when every person at the stand in the stands at Red Bull Arena or in the stands at MSU saw that this was going to be a critical part of the schedule and everyone except for the guy calling the shots Dennis Hamlet were thinking of ways to address it right <laughs> I mean yeah it's you look at how this, like you said, th- there was no surprise to the 2019 season how it was going to shape out. You could, you, we, the dates for the Gold Cup were announced well in advance. The dates for Copa America, the dates for U.S. Open Cup are known. You know when they're going to happen. It's the middle of June. It's like June, maybe late May, if they're feeling if they're feeling ambitious. 
But every single thing, especially with the amount of professional teams and professional leagues that exist, it was going to happen in June. You had, you knew which roster players that were that were eligible. In fact, many people could argue it is a huge indictment on the coaching of this team that some players did not go to um, their big tournaments. And I'm talking about Kaku. I'm talking Tim Parker. I'm even talking Christian Caceres. Even though the Venezuelan team is quite good, he should he's in the conversations with their U23s. If he played regularly, like we all thought he would, by the way, he probably should have been in the conversation for for a potential spot on at least the Venezuelan camp before Copa America. So all these things are coming to roost that you're like, you expected these players to be good enough. You expected these players to be gone. So that should have been, you should be as a technical director for this team. You should be planning on the worst case scenario because your players are good. This team is good. This team is not where it is as far as talent level. So, uh, so by Dennis refusing to look at this and instead drafting the plan seems to have been our defensive death. Death was two rookies straight out of college. That's Sean Nealis and that's Reese Buckmaster. Um, and you look at that and you're like, okay, this is the plan for a team who last year we played like 46 games, 46, 48 games. The plan this year was our death to be Sean Nealis and Reese Buckmaster for we could have very easily been playing over 40 games as well. So that was like the plan, which I, I'm baffled by. It it hurts to live. So you got Dennis, who's found some decent talent, or if that's Dennis or the the uh, agency that Caceres is attached to, as we were talking about, Edgardo Rito, who I believe is has the same agent as Christian Caceres and Miguel Silva, who is someone on the bench, a, a, a developing goalkeeper in Red Bull too. So is that Dennis or is that this particular agent who has a working relationship with Red Bull New York? There's a question that is a, for a different day because you view because and then you view uh, Alan Giannis, who's also performed well from last year and to this year, although this year he missed some time with I, it, it looks like a broken hand. We wouldn't have known that that was not readily shared until we saw him on the field with the cast. So you have instead you've had Buckmaster who's taken a, a a heavy role in playing in RB2. Um, but he's, you know, a rookie fullback. He looked perfectly acceptable and he played fine um in, in place of Laid. But that's, you know, that's swapping out negative zero for like positive 2.5. It's it's a negligible effect on how we, on how we look. And he's also playing right back instead of left. So, like you had mentioned before, you had Kyle Duncan who's a good player with a lot of talent, but direct of confidence at the moment. He's been put in positions that he's not that he's not positive, a positively able to succeed at it every time. Is which you should put players in challenging positions, but you should also have them adequately supported. So that's been a disaster. This is all this, we're talking about MSU, but this is this and this this stretch, this two games. It's not been that. It's been the whole year. We have a bunch of wingers, and like I've mentioned before, we we lost. Even though the, some of that defensive death was Tommy Redding and Kevin Pollitz, that they were defenders. They were warm bodies that you could be like, "Huh, we need someone to play. We need someone to step up." Here you go, son. Go out there and play. You can do it. 
Now we have if one per, if one defender get hurt, we saw it. Aaron Long went down with a hamstring injury, and then it was L- Amro Tarek, and then Sean Nealis was it. That was all we could call on, unless we do an emergency loan loan for Preston Kilwine. There was Jordan Scarlett as an option, and the emergency center back that uh, who played for um, Red Bull too was Buckmaster did emergency center back duty um, for that game. They they won in Atlanta where they played. Literally all academy kids were on the bench. So God bless you, John Wolinick. We, we we respect you. Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, keep going. No, it's 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 been you know it, looking at how this this fixture list was not a surprise, and how the team was like fully willing to have like Mar- uh, Epps, Mines, all these players who are fringe first teams talent at best, and they just go in with all these wingers, sign these people, and we just kind of sit there like with a defensive line that's inexperienced that should not be counted on to play a ton of first team minutes. Like we forced Sean Nealis to do to, we should not be expecting these rookies to come in here and be like, fantastic. No problems. They're just filling in. Like Nealis had that has had that two consecutive games with a handball when he's played that I can't blame him for that. For those mistakes. Cause he's still learning to be a professional. His closest professional experience was in 2018 with the Westchester flames of the PDL now league two. So new Rochelle stand up, but you know, that's how I see like you're putting in this rookie who does not have, who has, who's just c- coming off of playing college soccer, which has a completely different rule set. And now you're being like, all right, dude, you, you, you slot in with this, with a team that's expected to be a top level team. So Nealis is out there struggling, doing fine. He's doing exactly what you would expect a rookie to do, and he's playing at a good level. But, you know, as he, he's not there. He's played only a few Red Bull 2 games, and now he's being thrown into games where he's playing quality-level attackers after he spent the last year in Hofstra against this week, in a weaker-than-usual conference. This should not have come to this. We have, And you can be like, well, the manager shouldn't be playing them. Who can the manager play? Like we had a story this week that had Dennis that was given out that Dennis Hamlet is in Uruguay, um, potentially um, scouting new talent that that has been going around. And you're just like that. The man's doing it's like being put out as a report that he's he's on his feet. He's doing he's doing his job. Going out to scout, scout America's talent is probably the biggest aspect of Dennis's job. And he's done it with Giannis, Rito, and a bunch of other players. But you look and be like, this is the it's being played off like Dennis is doing some big production, but he's just scouting someone which should be his job. And you're like, where was this when we spent the int- and the guy they're scout uh, allegedly scouting for I think Federico Martinez, he's not a defender. He's another attacker. Not something we need. Unless you're being like, well we're not going to play in any other competitions for the rest of the year. So who, why do we need more defensive death? I don't know, man. Like, maybe someone gets hurt. Like, wow, what a concept! Injuries. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, that's a, it's not it's not great. Yeah, that's the thing for me. I mean, like, like it, it was going to be precarious to start the season, right? Because we knew that we were going to be one injury away from exactly this kind of scenario for playing out. And can you imagine if over this period as well, if we had suffered some kind of other injury to one of these depth defenders, right? Um, say like in that we May did. period, Tarek. yeah, and it actually did end up happening. But 
you know, I guess he recovered in time to play again in New England, but with uh, all, uh, all yeah, with some caveats. But the thing for me Lee is... covered. Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is is that in no ways can you look at how the season has transpired and say that Dennis adequately addressed the situation um, that we knew was going to be a problem coming into this year, right? And I think what you bring up something that I think that really compounds the frustration is the fact that we found a lot of really good quality fullbacks who seem like they can contribute at MLS level down the line. We've signed a couple of those guys to the USL team. Like, this is probably the best fullback crop that we've seen at USL since uh, Red Bull 2 got weaponized in 2016, right? Like, yes. Rito, Buckmaster, Yanez, uh, even Janos Loba started looking pretty good. Like, four guys who have been signed to the USL team and look like they have quite a fair bit of potential. If you can adequately scout fullback depth and starting fullback calibers, like starting caliber fullbacks for the two team, I don't see how that can't be extended to the first team uh, where you can kind of bring in someone who can do a better job than Connor Lane. <laughs> At MLS level, like like that's what like like if you can hit so many home runs in the USL fullbacks this year, I don't see in what conceivable situation you couldn't find a guy who could do a better, a more passable job than Connor Laid in MLS. I mean, you can talk about salary cap restrictions and everything, sure, but it's not like we're exactly like starved for cap room or anything. Right, like we're one of the we, we have one of the lowest payrolls in the league. Like you also talk about like two or three of those roster spots that are kind of being filled by a variety of um you know I mean less than helpful um less than helpful um spots. One of the guys that got cut last year was Ethan fucking Cutler. You couldn't have you, yeah. you want to tell me you couldn't have used Ethan Cutler's like roster spot and someone who could be more passable than Connor Lade. Like, I, I don't want to bash Connor too much because I think it kind of relates to another thing of what's kind of sunk us this year, which is the managers just basically putting players and platforms to fucking fail, if I'm being quite frank mm-hmm. with you. But when it comes to the roster construction, the most inexplicable, frustrating thing for me is why they're doing such a good job at Finding these ta- this talent at USL level that can make the step up to MLS down the line, while also not finding relatively decent MLS level depth on what on a team that's sorely kind of needed it for this period, right? You can talk about oh, it kind of maybe blocks the pipeline down the line, or maybe potentially you have a bit of a headache in the navigating yeah. uh, what is it the transition from USL to MLS. Look, guys get cut from the roster every single year after one year. It's not like these are ironclad contracts, right? Unless that's the reason why Connor Laid is still on the roster inexplicably is if they gave him like a contract for life, which I would sincerely doubt is the case because that's never happened to anyone ever. But I don't know in what fantasy fan fiction world um, where – not signing additional defenders going into the season wasn't an issue. But to move on to something that I found just absolutely bizarre, 
um, you have is when you look at the top line of this roster, right? And yes. I think you and I agree in this very easily. This is not a bad team. There is a lot, a, team. a lot, a lot of talent on this roster. The, 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 the top 11 can basically take on anyone in this league and we can expect to come away with a point against anyone, right? So my question now, and what is going to be the toughest part of the roster in terms of navigating it with squad selection and rotation, which was this June and July period going forward, mm-hmm. with us already kind of falling behind and lagging in the standings, um, this is where I kind of have to shoulder a lot of blame onto Chris Armis, right? We blew the early part of our schedule, right? With all those drop points at home and with all those just bizarre um, lineup decisions, right? With some guys who have been kind of been playing well, haven't been seeing more than 15 minutes off the bench, and some other guys just inexplicably like see time over prospects who are more deserving. Um, I don't want to bash Laid too much because I think, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't blame the player for being put on a, you know, on a, on a, sorry, on a platform where he fails, right? But here's the thing. And like, he knows, he knows, he, he knows, he, knows he knows what happened. Yeah. Yeah. He was on the field last, like, I felt bad because at the end of the game, he was inconsolable yeah. on the field. He knew, he knew what had happened the past in the, between the 72 hours. He knew that like. This happened in a large part because he was playing in a in a manner that he's been put on and he's trying his best, but the game and the, the, the concept of major league soccer in 2019 has passed by the skill set of Connor. Yeah, and, and he, he knows that he could feel it. And and the point that I'm getting at with him in particular is is that okay, I mean, sure, Amir didn't really have the greatest start to the season. He looked a bit off. There were some maybe mental loops that he was in. But the deal is is that it, the, the way that this narrative has been kind of set up is that, oh, you have a binary between, uh, I don't know, it's a binary between playing Amir or playing Connor Lake. No. At right back, you have a third option in Kyle Duncan, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I mean, we know Kamar was hurt to start the year, but he came back, uh, what is it, two or three weeks into the regular season? And then Laid still saw time over Amir. Like, if the point of player development is to help take these players, take the next step in their careers, why would you choose the guy who everyone kind of knows what he is at 29 years old? An extremely limited player, right? Who could barely hang, I think, at MLS level at this point, if I'm being generous. Mm -hmm. Like, you have a guy who severely needs minutes who flashed a lot of potential at the right back spot last year before he went down with his knee injury in Kyle Duncan. But for some odd reason, he's being left hang out. He's being hung out to dry at left back instead, like play at play, playing on a playing out of being constantly played out of position against players that, uh, you know, mean constantly played out of, out of position and being thrown into a role that he's not as familiar with because of you know his glaring the glaring weakness in his game being a lack of a, a weaker foot, but the, the situation for me is that like you you know that it was going to be such a major weakness 
and you see these players play week in, week out in training, and you still come to that decision to, to, to trot him out there at left instead of the other way around, then what are you doing as the manager? Like, if you're there watching, tra- like, are you, like, if you're supposed to be making these decisions after watching the guys in training and having them, like, be playing their game day roles in, like, practice scrimmages is in training. And then coming to those decisions, like, are you actually just watching The Simpsons in the in the office? Well, Bradley Carnell's running training. Is that is that what's going on here? And it's not like he kind of like it's not like he wasn't like unaware of these things. Like he actually, it, it took a dismal performance against Vancouver for him to switch to roles at halftime. It kind of like indicates to me that I I, I, I don't exactly know if the guy is really been on top of things as he should or if he's like you know like properly of being sound mind to make these decisions uh where you where at the end of the day like if you had to make this kind of switch at half time like shouldn't that have been the starting lineup to start and you could kind of apply the same thing to substitutions as well i mean you have people who are like oh armis has done a great job with the substitutions this year there are guys who always come out and they contribute in the limited amount of time that they're playing, blah, 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 blah. I mean, if you look at some of those substitutions against Cincinnati, it was putting fucking Kaku on the field. A guy who should have been starting to begin with, right? And then you get also be like, oh, look at how Omir Fernandez has changed the game when he comes on every 15 minutes. If he's making a contribution in 15 fucking minutes, then maybe he should be giving... He should be given a platform to make a contribution over ninety. Who? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 easy to see. It's easy to see where the deficiencies in roster management lie, and like we like we will be harping on probably for the end of time. There's no major change. Bes- I mean, if you like Tyler Adams, major change. We had someone in Christian Casares who we've been told was going to be slot in he'll be fine we'll, we'll, we'll be okay and instead we're playing Shakovsky, who is doing his best out there god bless him yeah but he is not the dog mid midfield fielder for doing the tasks we're asking of him and leaving sean davis by his lonesome to kind of just sit there against the tides of humanity <laughs> it we look at we look at this how like Armis, the subs, like you, you, you had just pointed out the, the substitutions. And specifically, I'll bring back the MSU game. Chris Armis just made his subs that he usually makes in reverse. He put on Tchaikovsky, Royer. Uh, Lade was an injury replacement. We should kind of point that out. Buckmaster t- picked up a knock. And then he put on Kaku. So putting on Tchaikovsky, uh, Royer, and Kaku were just normal subs for players he would normally sub on for players he would potentially normally sub out. It wasn't much, you know, galaxy brain thinking into into how Chris Armis put 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 that put that in and we should be remiss to point out we forgot to include Derek Etienne as far as the people who were unavailable because of Gold Cup duty. Yeah. And Etienne is one of Armis's and Jesse's key key sub guys. So this year with the emergence of Omir Fernandez, that has kind of fallen off in the in recent times. So you look at like the subs that Armis did in this game, where he could have done any sort of you know manner of killing off the game, keeping players that are performing well on, and instead he just went back to what he's comfortable with, 
which has kind of been the theme of this season. We see like what guys who Chris Armis feels can do a certain job that he kind of he, he is anticipating. Uh, these people include Connor Laid, but blaming everything on like Laid did 2019 Red Bull C's campaign doesn't fly with me because he's he knows what he is. He's performed well in situations when he was a wing back against obviously that's FC Cincinnati. They're not a good team. Um, they're still a USL team playing as an, at an MLS level. So I can't really view that game as like this was great. But Connor Laid was serviceable. He was not getting burned. He was not. He was serviceable in that formation, in that scenario. The rest of the roster and the way the Armist uses the rest of the roster seems to tell me that there's a disconnect between game by game decisions. It seems like Armist looks at each game as a chance to as a new, as a performance that he's coaching in 2019 for a game that happened in 2018. Every game I felt this year has been like Chris Armis's coach is still acting like he's coaching the 2018 team and we have room to maneuver. We're still in that supporter shield hunt. And he's like, Oh, we have a game in hand and other teams. That's fine. We've, I've felt a very, a sense of dread for the lineups posted each um, as the season has went on. We've uh, been like, who's going to be left out of the, uh, out of the 18 who's not in the 11. And this, this details goes different than like roster setup because at the end of the day, the 18 players that you had the, the first team roster that you can pick 18 players from to put on the feet, to put on the field and the bench that's up to the manager. So when we see games where Mario's on the bench, perfectly healthy and laid starting and games where you have Shikovsky out there playing and Castro's isn't in the 18 or he's with Red Bull too. You, and you have, other games where you're just like, when's Andy Ivan going to get his chance? When's or when's Omir going to get his chance? When are they going to be like playing every day or giving themselves an uh, opportunity to show that they're talented players and they're not just taking up roster spots is, you know, a big thing with me. Like if you're if you're not going to use players in the ways that they can contribute at the maximum level to your club, which is what your duty as a manager is to Make sure every player on this roster contrib- contributes the maximum ability that they can to this club. If you're, if you have players who are leaving stuff with food left on the table, if you have, if you're not playing Ivan to the maximum potential that he could do, play playing stuff on the wing. If you're not playing Derek to the maximum potential, if you if you're out there leaving players on the wing just because you know, like maybe we should play late today, boys. Yeah. That's affecting the development of the of the roster and the players. It, one of the big things in this organization and that we've seen has been player development is key. Bringing players up to another level that you didn't know that that, that they might not have known that they had. Uh, bringing players that were fringes up and like moving them out and moving them on. That's been a big thing for our young players. And that's been a big thing that people hope for for this club. When you come to this club is as a young player, you're going to accelerate this club is going to boost your skills and you can take it either continuously in MLS, maybe with the same club with Red Bull, New York, or you develop those skills and you move out into the bigger, broader future um, of Europe or further on in, in the league. And you get, and you get yourself a better roster spot, a better position. You're better developed by coming through and putting on the shirt. So if that is affecting our players, like we mentioned before, there are some players that we expected to be gone and they weren't. And that's a reflection on the manager and being unable to put them in positions to succeed that 
other that that their other coach that other coaches view as a positive roster step in development that they want them not just for national team duties but in in other things as well we should be wanting people to crave our players and look at us us jealous jealously like we're not playing that we're we keep putting out these bangers with players players with phenomenal talent that people everyone would kill to have and now it feels like that's that's completely stagnated yeah i mean which, you know not great. yeah i mean like uh, last year you had all these uh, oh rumors flying around over guys like amir guys like kaku like interest from um, teams overseas and taking on our players. You even had Sean Davis apparently garner a bit of a rumor from fucking Union Berlin of all places, right? Like that was fun. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, the the, the two biggest indictments for me for the manager this year are a the fact that we dropped as many points as we did in the easiest part of our schedule, and b like you mentioned, a lot of our guys who were absolute stalwarts last year seem to have taken a step back. You know. Mm-hmm. Like if everyone on the team inexplicably manages to become worse than what they were last year, like, wouldn't you naturally start to question like how it, whether or not the guy at the helm of the ship is getting the most out of them or putting them on a you know a position where they can succeed? I mean, seeing the full the full choice starting eleven. Play like Ben Men against fucking Chicago on the road this year should have been, I think, a canary in the coal mine, right? For how the season was going to progress. For me, anyway. Yes. You had that winning, you had that five game unbeaten streak in the middle where, like, we got kind of lucky because Robles kind of stood on his head a little bit to get some of those points for us. Like, here's the thing. Of course, I'm going to be alarmed when, um, you know, you get binned by one of the worst teams in what is a shit conference in the East 2019 this year. The East in 2019. A team that's actually trying to sabotage itself. East, Keep that in mind, Chicago Foil. The East in 2019 is fucking terrible. And we've lost that many points at home to teams that we'd be just murdering like last year? Come on. When have you, like, okay, said the Santos Laguna collapse was embarrassing, but they had a lot of firepower. Like, this is the regular fucking season. You know, we would have thought that this team, how good it was in comparison to the rest of MLS last year, would have at least been able to put together a pretty decent run during the regular season against what turns out to be an absolutely terrible conference. But no. We're just as bad as the fucking shit in the East. Like, we are a mid-table Eastern Conference side. And this is mm-hmm. an Eastern Conference that is probably the weakest it's been in, like, years, right? It was very top-heavy in 18. In 17 and 16, there were a couple decent teams that were kind of duking it out. But in 2019, all of these teams are equally shit, and we're not doing anything to take advantage of that the best one is in my estimation the philadelphia union really a team that finished who just added a new player yeah yeah i mean they had that andrew wooten guy we'll see how that turns out but look listen the point is, is that of course like naturally when you go from the best team in mls history to looking like a bunch of fucking bin men and what is a bin man's conference in a bin man's league this year in mls 2019 
you're going to start to question what exactly the fuck happened. And you're going to point fingers at the sporting director for not adequately addressing certain problem areas in the roster. But you're also going to point the manager for not get for somehow getting the whole team to regress. Like that would alarm anyone. And I think that's more. And perhaps more. Like, yeah, like it, the, the team's big thing the past few years was that they were greater than their the collective sum of their parts, right? Like the system would like this the high press and the system that they played would elevate everyone equally above a level that individually they were capable of. This year, it seems like the team is somehow less than the collective sum of their parts, right? Part of it comes down to the tactics yeah. and the way that the game goes out to attack. I mean, the other big indictment that I had from Armis was how against the team and against Van- the fucking Vancouver Whitecaps, he said the part of the plan was pumping tons of crosses into the box to try and win penalties. Like, are you kidding oh, me? Oh, boy. You're resorting uh, to fucking, uh, like, NCAA Division Three coach gimmick shit? This isn't Adelphi fucking University. This is the fucking New York Red Bulls. This is... A club that everybody was knew was on the verge of, of becoming this fucking mega bastard, and you're having them play for fucking penalties against one of the worst teams in the West? Is this some kind of sick joke? Like, it was, like hearing him say that live was just like on his press conference, like, this is our plan. This is what we went into training talking about. Not something you like mentioned, like, hey, sometimes as like game day when you're just like, hey, sometimes the defenders keep their arms out. Keep on the lookout for that. If that was something, that's what you do as a coach. You like give your players this last second, like, hey, just we watch some tape. This is what happened. Keep an eye out for it. If you like go in practicing it, like this is how you shoot the ball at someone's hand in the box. Oh, you can do so many other things. You can, you can. Analyze how we break down those players collapsing in the box with dedicated runs. You can look for a searching ball. You can practice what searching ball to a player crashing in on the box works best, which is the best way to go around it. There's a Vancouver defense in flux. They've lost their big players from last year. It's a new team. And if what your takeaway as a manager is that, hey, let's like try and hope the ref or VAR calls this, this handball, that doesn't. That's not how that's not that's coaching to win one game. That's not coaching your team to successfully prepare for a full season. And that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, like, 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 like the the whole point of like having the system in place is that there's supposed to be this ideal vision that they're supposed to be aspiring towards over the course of a season, right? John Wollernick does it at Red Bull too. Right, he understands the press. He understands the system. And even though his Red Bull te- U teams always kind of start off a bit slow because they're trying to integrate a lot of new pieces at the same time, at the end, I, usually by the end of the season, he's got a really well-oiled, high-pressing machine ready to go for the playoffs. That's kind of what it's supposed to be. Having the system in place there is supposed to be this overarching vision that every single person that puts on this jersey is supposed to eventually come to a point where they can execute it in your sleep. Doing these one-game mm-hmm. gimmicks on a game-by-game basis that strays away from executing this ideal vision is not big club shit and not what Red Bull Global Soccer is all about. Anyone can see that. Like, 
And if we're going to be like doing these silly gimmicks on a week by week basis, then of course the team's going to look confused because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing on in if the instructions are changing so much on a week by week basis, then of course it's going to detract from the overall vision, right? Like putting an emphasis, I feel, on the details sometimes, I think, is kind of look is missing the forest for the trees, you know? You know? But what I mean, like, mm-hmm. it strays away from understanding how each moving comp- component is supposed to fit in the greater tactical framework of how this team is supposed to operate. Then in the end, you kind of end up getting this really convoluted mess that we've seen from time to time this year. You saw it with, uh, like, and it's for that reason, you know, that I, I, I don't have a great outlook for the rest of the season if he's going to continue being the manager of this team. Look, we, we, we blew the easiest part of our schedule. It's only going to get harder from here on out. We don't have that many home games left. And our home, Eight, our, our home stadium isn't left. even a fucking fortress anymore. It's a fucking gimmick. It's just as gimmicky and fucking turgid to, walk, to be at as our team this year. Right, like this is this is the kind of things that, for that reason, I just cannot be confident in the manager's abilities to turn the season around. The other thing that kind of bought, plays into this is the fact that he thought that you know he would learn from past mistakes. He would try you know different things. You know, I mean, like he'd try different substitution patterns or whatever, um, but. He's doing the same things week in, week out. And he's getting the same results. Seeing Ilsenio murder Connor Laid was like, you know, it was like Kitty Genovese. Like a girl's getting murdered. She's crying for help. But no one's coming in to call. But no one's coming in to intervene. So what is this all about? Like, what is the plan? But Chris Armis is the manager. I don't know. Like, I, I sincerely think it's getting in the way of executing Red Bull Global's vision here in New York. If this is the kind of gimmicky shit that we're resorting to. Okay, I mean, like, okay, Dennis kind of fucked up this preseason. He can still kind of win his job security back if he goes out and gets a good and has a good summer window. He addresses the depth problems that we have, maybe brings in a couple of players as well to try and give this team a kick up the backside. Because if we, if the proper player, right players are brought in the summer window and the manager still can't get the best out of them, then the manager's a fucking idiot. And he should go, shouldn't he? I mean, this is a basic thing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. You, you manage what's given to you, and you're only really going to be able to do as much as you like can do with the players that are at your disposal. But Jesse Marsh took the this roster to unbelievable heights last year. So by natural process of elimination, seeing as how the biggest change was the manager, like, like if the manager can't get the same level of talent, like um, that, um, he knew that they were capable of hitting last year. Then is he really the continuity signing that we thought he was supposed to be? That kills the continuity narrative dead. If you ask me, like, in, in the cradle, it doesn't even. It didn't even make it. It didn't even make it a full season before we kind of were here saying that the continuity. This whole like whole the dream of this of the systematic emplacement was that we could take any one of Jesse's pals, which is what Chris the biggest thing on Chris's resume when he 
came in as one of the assistant coaches, Jesse Marsh's friend. And we were just like, okay, like he knows Jesse that they have, they're probably on a similar wavelength. They spend all this time together. They know when, when this, when this comes in, like Chris will be able to take over. He knows what's going on. And like, initially we were just like, okay, like first professional game is when he makes no, only makes one something like the 80, some 80 something minute against NYCFC away. Like, you're just like, okay, like growing pains. And then we kind of, we, we went from there. We gave him a little, we gave him a leash with the whole expectation was that Chris Armas knows the system. He's been here since Jesse got here. He's known Jesse his whole professional life. He's known Dennis his whole professional life. This should be seamless. Integration, no problem. And now we sit here looking at like the team coming in week in and week out of being like, hey, we have a plan this week. Not for the season, but this week. And sometimes that plan doesn't work. The plan for against New England was to play Buckmaster because he has a similar skill sales skill set to Connor Laid. Because they couldn't play Laid again because of what happened at Philly away. That was that day's plan. And if you're thinking that that is how like we're going to go through a, a season, it it does not work because every single week you have to monitor and develop your players. If you're just coming in like, oh, this player is going to play this week because he maximizes the potential for this one specific instance, that's not how I'm very much down with with the whole arm the armist experience we look at our next home games like you said they were all gimmies the next one is chicago then after that nycfc columbus toronto new england colorado philadelphia and our last one's dc half of those are rivalry games so those are not gimmies those are games where the other team's going to come out and throw a punch at you directly to, to go to go fight this one like it's going to be game on for most of those games it's not going to be easy it's not going to be one where you can just be like oh we got this one we blew games against orlando and minnesota orlando and minnesota we lost those games back to back and that was you know six points those are six points right there that's that's the physical embodiment of six points and then we lost to Mon- we have the Montreal loss too, which is something that should never happen. And because we play Montreal on the road to end the season, which you know, if we're in a decision day situation with with us on the bubble for getting a home playoff game, not that you know that'll fucking matter because we've destroyed the aura. But if we have the chance of getting a home playoff game at the end of the season, and we're playing Montreal away, and that's the decision thing that we go on. Do you have faith in Chris Harmis as a as a as a coach to to get that result for us? And I don't think anyone here anyone can reasonably say yes. I believe Chris Armis is going to do this. I believe that Chris Armis has a as a plan to ensure he might have a plan for the season, but I don't know if it's it's a plan that ensures us a positive playoff spot in the Eastern Conference that is just filled with teams that are have stumbled out of the gate just like us. Half the teams in this Eastern Conference stumbled out of the gate just like us. Atlanta stumbled. NYCFC stumbled. All these alleged contenders from last year stumbled out the gate. And of those two teams, only one of them is kind of sitting here listlessly being like, wouldn't that be nice? And that's us. And you can only give Dennis so much blame because, you know, 
he still made positive signings for Red Bull too for across the organization organizationally. That's fine. He has, you know, some leeway and he's got a summer transfer window. If we don't do anything in the summer transfer window and we just just maybe could pick up a new attacker, what's the point, right? So Dennis out in that case scenario. Armis has Armis has been here looking and seeing everything. He spent his whole professional career essentially with Jesse and under his tutelage or, or playing with him as a peer. And then as a, as a coach, he wasn't th- with Jesse um, in Montreal. That was Dennis. But we, we look at it now, Jesse was on, actually Armis was under Dennis for one of Dennis's years as the fire coach. So he's been that same dynamic exists. Chris knows all these people in this organization that he's supposed to be working with to develop players on a maximum level. When we see him this year, when we see Chris, Sitting out there, throwing, looking like he's throwing stuff against the wall, abandoning the press in some in some manners, and in in a way that it was not as intense and not as focused at, under the Jesse Marsh administration. We look at the players who look confused and like look like they're they're not playing. They're 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 having. There's a moment where they buffer when they get the ball. When you didn't used to see that, even if we lost. Big or we blew games under Jesse, under Jesse. You saw players who were just playing. We're going, we're going, we're going. We have an idea what we want to do. And if it if it if it if it goes poorly, it it goes poorly. Who cares? We're playing. We know our jobs. Now we see players figuring out their jobs on the pitch, which is never something you want to see happen. You want to see your players prepared. You want to see one through eleven on the field, knowing what their job is a thousand percent of the time putting balls in, knowing the services, knowing where their, their players are supposed to be on the field coming down and aware of their coverage in the defense and offense, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it. You don't feel get that feeling from the team anymore. You get like players who like look around and then they're like, okay, maybe that's where he's going to be. It, it feels like there's a detachment from – and we've talked about RB Global sometimes has – transitional years and problems like that that's acceptable what isn't acceptable is feeling completely detached from any sort of process i would be fine if like the the phrase like people figured out the press dubious but fine let's we'll go with that if rb2 wasn't having the same success that it always has and has been very positive with the talent development they've had this year they won away when the whole bench was academy kids how, could would you ever expect Chris Armis to be able to pull something with a weak bench? We saw him not be able to do it, so it's not something that you can't he can't pull out these games with a full bench of full strength players. So why would we expect him on a second hand roster? This has been a clarification that you know when we gave when the team when Jesse left and the team kind of acted like it was spurned for some reason that a man was going to a better job, which we know now was the Salzburg job. So the team acted spurned and they gave Chris the full job. Um, Not interim, not anything like prove himself. They didn't, by the way, did not give him a, a new contract. So he's still probably one of the lower, I, from what I understand, he still might probably, I'd rager to bet is one of the least um, lowest paid coaches in MLS, which also isn't fair to him if you gave him the full-time job. And didn't give him and like we've invested in the club. It's very clear like the, this the team is invested in this club, and they didn't really invest in the manager position because they just hoped, which they should, that this would be a continuation. And you look at Chris, and you see like 
this guy gives off interim coach energy in his second in his first full season as the coach you still feel that he's like trying to prove a point and that he's proved that he should still have the first team job when he has the first team job when he's had it from the beginning and now we have like the fluff pieces have been coming out that Armis isn't the problem. Armis is doing this. Armis is tactically brilliant. And you have all these pieces coming out uh, talking about Armis, which are suspiciously happening now when Ralph Ragnarick will be taking his position on the 1st of July. And they, these, these um, takes seemingly did not, did not have any place in the whole season's narrative up to right this point. When um, a new boss is coming in, which, you know, suspicious, makes you go, huh? Armis probably has the rest of this year. Um, it's difficult for me to say they should, even though I would prefer Armis out and maybe have Carnell run out the rest of the year with because he's him and Ralph have a working professional relationship. Um, it's difficult for me to see where that would be a case the closest thing I have for Armis getting the sack would be if he loses Atlanta and NYCFC back to back, which the seventh and the fourteenth of July. Um, that's f- less than a month into this new administration with Ralph, and if Armis misses those two big games back to back, one's on Big Fox, one's on FS1, so they're two national televised games. Armis messes those back to back. That'll be the closest you get to see Chris Armis getting sacked this year, um, and that would also kill. I, if, in my opinion, if we lost lose those two games back to back, our season as any achieving anything, even playoffs, would be take a serious hit, and it would feel almost were almost useless to lose Atlanta and NYCFC back to back. Two teams that have a very big potential of meeting each other in uh the open cup semifinals this year it's it to see what happened last year and like people have made the comparison that we're similar to toronto 2000 last year's toronto but last year's toronto they're the best player in mls history potentially sebastian Giovinco was not was not into it was hurt they lost josie for parts of the year and the thing is that they're the players that they brought in to replace them did not step up our players have stepped up brad being hurt has led to Brian White filling in completely admirably. We've been, if you look at the record, we are better this year with Brad not in the lineup. We have won most more of our points. We've scored more goals. We've been much more successful with Brad out of the lineup than in the lineup for this year. So I don't buy that. Like the the we're missing our star players. We've had Kaku's away for Paraguay and stuff and 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 his suspension, but we still we we fought on. We played. We played decently. The only injuries that has been an issue has been Kamar Lawrence's injury and injury, I guess, which, which they should have known during the the like we we brought about um, getting the defensive death. But even with Kamar's injury, this team has stayed aloft. We're still in playoff position. It's not like last year when Toronto were out of the playoff picture for almost the entire part of the year. We're, we've stayed alive. We've been chugging along. It's been difficult, but we still have been have the talent in this team to stay in competitive positions. And it, we cannot rely. You cannot rely for a whole season that started in February up until whenever, no, um, October. You cannot rely on all those months 
just talent to win your games and to put you in a good position because talent goes so far when talent is blind. You talent needs to be coached up, brought in a position to succeed and given a plan that it, that the entire roster, everyone on that first team and people on the fringes of the, of Red Bull two can believe in that they can look at this team and be like, we can do this. We can go forward. We can go ahead. And, is Chris Armis the person to give that faith in this in this team? Is Chris Armis the type of, of manager that's going to help this squad find itself that it had last year? Or is Chris Armis the guy who's just a lame duck coach seeing at the end of the year and he's going to get sacked no matter what happens in the playoffs? What What's the play? And that ultimately makes me just wish if they're, if they're going to have Chris as a lame duck coach who's not going to make it through next the next year, why keep him around? It's not yeah, fair to anyone. To answer this question, uh, the only um, thing that we can refer to, I think, in the uh, Red Bull um, Global Rolodex to kind of have a case study to kind of see what it's going to take um, for a coach to be sacked halfway through the season. You'd have to go all the way back to 2015 in Salzburg when uh, Peter Ziedler got the uh, sack after uh, being KO'd out of every single uh, championship. That they had, we were in the running mm-hmm. for last for that year, as well as uh, I think missing out in the league. I think that was uh, what happened. So yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to take, really. I mean, generally everyone else got a full year before they got the sack at Red Bull Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg. Not sure about Red Bull Brazil because uh, they're, they're they're a whole other thing altogether. I mean, Serie D isn't exactly a big reason to keep anyone around for long right so um yeah i mean generally the mo at rbg is to give any of the managers like a full year and then make a change in the off season <laughs> with the new staff having the off season to kind of prepare for the upcoming year which i think is kind of the right thing to do from an operational standpoint you have less um jeopardy you don't have these weird interim situations where if the interim manager somehow manages to perform like way above anyone's expectations, you have a bit of a dilemma, right? A certain Ola Gunnar Solskjaer comes to mind. You avoid situations like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate um, considering how little I think um, faith I think I have in the manager's abilities at this point. Um, but we're probably only going to see heads roll um, in the off season if we make it to the playoffs. And if we don't make it to the playoffs, like after we're mathematically eliminated, which would be an unmitigated disaster. But I think any stretch of the imagination, because when's the last time that happened? It was really early on in the ripple arena. Um, 2009. We've yeah, never missed the never playoffs, missed in the the Red playoffs since Red Bull Arena's open. So Arena. how about that? Uh, through Hans Baca, through Mike Petke, through Jesse Marsh, we've never missed the playoffs. That would truly be the cherry on top of this absolute shit Sunday that we've been served on on a shit plate this year, I think. Mm-hmm. And that would rightfully, I think, result in a sacking. Um, 
that's kind of all I really have to say about this debacle. Um, should we move on to the questions, or do you have anything you'd like to add? Let's roll on. Let's roll on to some questions. All right. So four questions in the mailbag today. Well, actually, more like five because we got a two-piece. But we'd like to thank everybody for sending in a question as usual. First one coming from Ben Mindstan, the host of the Energy Drinks Soccer Show. His first question is a Space Ghost um, clip. So, um, he's asking, why do we always hurt the ones we love? Uh, I don't know, man. It's kind of above my pay grade here. Uh, <laughs> look. See, see your therapist yeah, for that see one. See your therapist for that one. <laughs> do, do, don't 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 try and do some weird fucking bullshit. Like expect your team to get like expect your soccer team to give you like your only glimpse of happiness that you're only ever gonna get because true happiness comes from within and not from praying that your dumbass soccer team beats everyone else week in, week out. Like, go outside, have a run, make some friends, talk to some cute girl, I don't know. Like, do do, do anything else but watch soccer, man. Don't be like uh, those uh, bitter-ass motherfuckers in some other podcasts. Like, <laughs> just joking. Um, Sometimes your soccer club wins Champions League, and that's kind of cool. But yeah. Oh, I wonder what just, that just... feels like. Uh... <laughs> Love to see it. Uh, it's it's been eleven years, kids, <laughs> since we saw Nemanja Vidić lift that trophy at the Luzhniki Stadium in Moscow. It was the single most erotic moment of my life. Oh, sorry. Uh. Yeah, we're we're we're, put, we're doing UCL fan fiction now, boys. That's what this podcast is about. Thanks for making it for an hour and thirteen minutes. It is now time to talk. <laughs> yeah, we're we're actually following Jesse Marsh on the road to Europe. Uh, from now on, actually, so we're repositioning. This is now a UCL podcast. You, you guys call us Red Bull apologists too many times, so I'm sorry. Metro Fan TV is now Red Bull Salzburg Fan TV. Suck on these nuts. <laughs> Next one coming from small business owner Alexander Sassaroli. Is it Ukraine or the Ukraine? Uh, I don't know. I don't recognize fascist entities. Like, what about you? <laughs> Yeah, this is this is this is a long-term debate, and as as someone best put it, um, it is Batman if you are referring to it Ukraine as a friend, and it is the Batman if you are an enemy. So that was probably the best tweet I've ever seen regarding the status of the name of the Ukraine. So that's what we're gonna go with. The only cranes that I recognize are origami cranes, anyway. So fuck it. Um, yeah. The next one also coming from Ben Mindstein. What's the best center back right. partnership when everyone is healthy? Um, I feel like Amro's made a case from how he's played this year. He's been a very good addition. Um, so I think when you kind of look at him in a complete package, I think he's better on the ball uh, than Tim Parker. But the deal is, is I think when we're playing at our best, where the line is high, right, which kind of isn't, what the case is this year for some reason because Armis decided to pull the defensive line back a bit deeper. Um, the best center-back partnership when everyone is healthy, when we're playing at our best, high line and everything, right? It's probably still long in Parker simply because of Parker's like recovery and ability to just kind of eat up a ton of turf on the ground. But 
if you're going on merit based this year, it's got it's Amro and Long for me. I feel like I think Amro has been a, just an absolute titan at the back. It's kind of I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm less bullish on 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 Tim Parker uh, this year, um, especially you know when he's been by himself with Long being hurt. He's does not see he's hasn't been seen to be marshaling anything, marshaling stuff in a successful manner. It seems like Tarek, who's been taking on the responsibilities of pointing out what hap- needs to happen with the back line, which isn't encouraging because you'd expect the center back has been here for two years to deal to deal with that rather than the dude who has gotten in this supplemental draft. So I think going forward, Tarek might be the play to play with to put in with long at the very least there should be competition between the two spots so it should not just be like tim park uh long's back okay parker long for the rest of the season that's what it's going to be i think there should be some shouts to give Tarek, but much like i, I i've been, made the case of brian white um it Tarek has proven that he should be the starter until he has much like if like if you're going to bring bwp back from the dead Brian White has proven that he should get the job until he sh- until he shouldn't. Um, you, sh- it's been a good thing. Tarek has had a positive um, mentality, um, and he he's very fast. Very, he's very to how C.J. Brown and Chris Armis are structuring the defense. I believe Tarek is a better fit at the moment. Would Tarek have been as good of a fit last year? I don't. I can't say yes or no. But I will say how they've been doing it this year, and how CJ Brown has coached up the def- as uh, coached up uh, quotation marks the defense. I might be more inclined to have Tarek as one of the starting center back pairings. CJ Brown out, by the way. Like uh, I totally forgot to. Uh, oh, hundred percent. This, this this would probably deserve its own like podcast segment. But CJ Brown is horrible, man. Just. just, just Anyone who has the taint of Jason Christ, like, just get them the fuck out of here. Like, you, you can't have that shit, like, in and around this organization. Oh, no. It, we, we've seen it this year. How many clean sheets have we kept, like, managed to, like, keep that weren't, like, Luis Robles just having 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 a absolute stunner out there? If you're relying on, like, a dude with half an ACL to make, like, spectacular saves to bail out your defense, maybe you're the problem. Yeah. So, just saying. Yeah, um, away with C.J. Brown, basically. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I don't want to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) We see so much rage. There's not much rage left. I I think you're having me, like, trying to summon the energy to talk about C.J. Brown at the end of this episode was just kind of, like, just end up killing me man like i think i'd like actually just we'll do a podcast special on cj brown in the future (laughs) please don't try and like tom i'm about to throw my laptop out the window for suggesting i put cj brown in this goddamn podcast are you fucking kidding me like (laughs) i think it'd kill like any like listenership that we have of like the five people in germany that still listen to us for some reason it'd be like our friends in Austria and Leipzig still listening to the Red Bull. Yeah, actually, too. I bet it's Jesse. It's, it's Jesse, like listening in, like 
saying like, oh, this guy used to shit on me all the time, and now he's begging for me back. Like, fuck, man. (laughs) The biggest mea culpa in 2019 is uh, that's now the Jesse Marsh I'm sorry tour. So if you're listening, Jesse, I'm sorry. I said it. I'm a a better man now. Uh... We miss you, Dad. Uh, all right. Last set of questions coming from Chris Ashley. Thanks for the questions, Chris. Um, how does Salzburg handle fullbacks roster-wise and tactically? Any applicable lessons for RBNY? Well, um, this would have been a really good question for Fernando to handle because I um, don't actually watch any of the other Red Bull Global teams on a weekly basis. But I kind of do pay attention to how they conduct business because I think that's kind of what's applicable to us. Um, and additionally, what's kind of weird is that like, they're in a bit of a turnover right now, right? At the fullback position, Salzburg, cause, uh, they've just sold this Stefan Leiner to, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. So a uh, Leiner following Marco Rose, uh, to his new, his new club, uh, which oddly enough leaves the right back spot open. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Could someone be on the move? Is Amir done Mm -hmm. who knows but but um talking about like fullbacks roster wise and tactically i think uh, from a previous episode that we had of austin fido is that kamar lawrence is kind of like the ideal um red bull fullback right the guy who kind of locks things down at the back plays really good recovery defense but also kind of offers a bit of an outlet going forward i think that's sort of the Mm -hmm. the idea of having this high pressing system is that the roles the fullbacks play at one club is going to be the same role they play elsewhere, right? You're plugging in and playing not only from roster spots 1 to 25 in the New York roster, but ideally you're also plugging and playing from one team to another, right? That's what you kind of saw with Tyler Adams coming in and just kind of kicking ass in Leipzig. Um, so I'm pretty sure that full, the fullback's going to be the same in uh, Salzburg and Leipzig as well. So I don't really think there's anything applicable um, to um, from the other Ripple Global clubs that can be applied to the New York clubs, uh, ideally, because they're playing the same tactical setup. But I guess, yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> but what has been kind of nice to see is that um, Salzburg, I think, at a level higher than anyone else, like just bring in and incorporate new players like it's nothing basically um, on a yearly basis there in Austria. So I guess that's kind of something I want to see us to kind of aspire towards, you know, they've done it with a leafering integration. They get all of those kids go into leafering and then they get called up. It's a bit like a Red Bull two and uh, what's going on with us and Red Bull two. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, obviously we have a more of insight how Salzburg might function because Jesse was their coach for so long. Um, which is why we there's been on pins and needles during this summer transfer season regarding players that Jesse has been very has been traditionally very high on, and those players are um, Amir Murillo, as we're focusing specifically on fullbacks, and on a lesser extent, um, Christian Caceres. For if they, if, I am not aware if there's a giant midfield need for Salzburg at the moment, but they. Did recently, like you mentioned, let, let loose. Um, if they do have a fullback spot that's opened up, and we and you know it's not a secret um, that Amir 
and Armis haven't been the best pals. I don't. I think that's that's a very obvious thing if you look at body language and the sidelines and reactions that you've seen from Amir, especially with the benchings for for late on, on occasion. I don't know how if I put a number on like the panic scale of Mario to Salzburg. I don't think it's really higher or lower than then it would have started off of the chance of losing Mario during the the season, but he would fit the mold that we know Jesse Marsh likes to play. And we've, we saw how important Amir was to Jesse's plans when Amir came on. So the Salzburg fullback play will reflect how Jesse played with us, which is using the fullbacks to dictate and squeeze the game in so that you dominate those sides with players who have that ca- uh, capacity. So that's where that's where I think that we should look at what Salzburg is going to try and do with that. And I think that if they can't find someone under, because Salzburg has a global reach as far as talent base specific, and focusings a lot on uh, Africa is getting and as well as Europe. Yeah. And uh, Scandinavia from getting good players. Do I think that that puts Concacaf on the, men- the their menu? Probably with Jesse's experience, but I can't I can't say with any sort of. Well, uh, the recent rumor mill had um, um, three MLS pl- three different MLS players I think linked to Salzburg. Uh, the two names that I think I remember off the top of my head were Reggie Cannon from Dallas and James Sands from NYCFC. So yeah, that would have been, been a kind of an interesting loop. But keep an eye out for that one. Um, the final question from uh, Chris mm-hmm. Ashley. Um, my sense by the eye test is Lawrence and Murillo have been key to ball progression against teams that muddy the midfield to occupy Davis. Is that borne out in the data? Well, interestingly enough, the heat maps actually not just have us um, using the wide positions actually as a key way, as a key mode in attack, but we very specifically been very right-hand channel heavy over the past few years. And with a fullback like Amir Murillo, who can kind of push up as well as he does, right? He's got that real Brazilian flavor, you know, like when he marauds forward, gets the ball moving. Like he looks like a stallion. He looks like a gazelle striding gracefully on the plains at the Serengeti, right? Like just an absolutely mm-hmm. majestic sight is him surging forward in that right-hand channel. But the reason why specifically, I think we've been so right-hand heavy is because it has that additional bonus of compressing the field to that channel, right? So if we kind of focus a lot of our play being on the right-hand side, it allows the le- left to kind of squeeze in a bit more, compress that side of the mm-hmm. field, and kind of pin a lot of pressure on opposing teams to that particular flank, right? Because then it does a lot of work for you. Because uh, the only way to kind of beat that out would be to have a hopeful switch ball, which um, over the top, or to play it long, right into the middle, where a lot of our guys are kind of positioned to kind of win those midfield uh, battles, ideally. So the eye test is, is that um, the key to ball progression is kind of more on Murillo. Uh, Lawrence is kind of a bit more key in uh, that ball-winning role when teams try to play over the top against us. So 
Um, when we've been playing at our best, it's generally been um, through people finding a mirror in that right-hand channel, I think a bit more. And we've generally not quite been the team to be like, kind of go through the middle as much. Because our concept of build-up play is sort of uh, always trying to play the ball forwards, right? No matter what that means. It means a long ball in over the top to win second balls, and so be it. But it also means that we're playing through balls into the channels to find runners streaking in transition, right? Which is something that you kind of saw a lot last year with BWP running into channels in front of, Sh- of Riza and Kaku. And um, you saw quite a fair bit as well, I think, uh, against RSL and against Cincinnati when uh, substitutions were made. So the data kind of suggests that um, Lawrence isn't as key to progressing the ball as Amir is, but Amir is like probably one of the most important players on the offensive side of things because of what he offers in that right-hand channel. Oh yeah, for sure. We And you, you will see, um, you've seen in games where Amir hasn't played or has been suspended that once that right-handed channel is no more, the offense doesn't does not have a catalyst that sparks down because the the momentum amir generates when he screams down the wing carrying the ball and goes against players means that they have to bring their focus from the two the the attacker on that side and the winger on that side or the midfielder and the winger means they have to focus now specifically on this giant fast dude who's bearing down at goal and the goal of this to have a mere to have a mere attacking in such a rig is to create the chaos that allows our attackers to be put in a position to succeed. Um, Kamar is capable of doing this as well, but you, his delivery and, and and such is not. I I would argue probably not as polished as Mario is. Kamar is there as like you mentioned. He's captain of the recovery fastest dude that we have on this team so he's that he's there to maybe help on blow past on transition but more so he's there as the lifeline for the defense for when we go forward because going forward is the whole purpose the whole purpose is to create a unstoppable momentum that captures the ball pushes it forward and catches the other team in chaos so it puts our system and our attackers in the best areas of 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 uh success so in that regards mario has something that we just it's very difficult to replicate i mean it which is why there's a lot of there's concern whenever he doesn't play and it's why at least in my opinion mario is one of the top top three players on the squad as far as being important to how our how our seasons go uh, it's it's no coincidence that we've had some of our best seasons and performances and um, g- general sort of successes in this period that we've had Amir and Kamar on the uh, as fullbacks. No coincidence that the peak of Red Bull soccer has been in New York has been achieved with these players. It, it's it's not just like a happenstance. These players create so much and that but the fact of them being on the field together creates such an advantage that it can negate entire strategies that the opposition is trying to do and 
people will point out that sometimes Amir's shaky on defense. I argue it's, that's a trade-off when you have when you're supposed to have two great center backs like Long and Parker um, were. That that's acceptable for the amount of chances that you're going to create from Amir screaming. Amir might not score often, but he's puts in a position with the uh, that the defense breaks down and allows ourselves to destroy forward. And I still think Amir's a quality defender. I don't think I he might not be like best eleven like super defender of the year, but I, he still makes fantastic plays and keeps people in front of him and puts his 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 defensive line in a position to succeed more often than yeah, not. Um, I think uh, when you talk about um, the um, impact that fullbacks have uh, on this and uh, our style of play, I mean, uh, it's been echoed uh, throughout a lot of those uh, long form tactical pieces on uh, how Red Bull teams generally like to play. And uh, you see that our wingers actually kind of tuck in a lot more to offer more, um, you know, bodies in the box for a prospective ball, low ball played across the face of goal coming in to tuck in because it's the fullbacks that are the ones that are kind of acting as the main width providers on the team. You know, like none of the Red Bull global clubs really play with uh, wingers, like traditional wingers, you know, like uh, the two players are starting to wide positions, usually tuck in more and they act kind of more as like, um, Wide central attacking, wider central attacking midfielders who kind of occupy that inside right or inside left channel, as opposed to the outside right or outside left channel. You know, mm-hmm. so the fullbacks ideally are the keys in stretching opposition blocks wide and opening space in the center for those guys to attack. So Amir's ability to kind of do that from both a running start and a standing start, you know, I think is something that's kind of unmatched by anyone else on the roster. You know, not even, I mean, Kamar can kind of do that, but he hasn't really had the chance to because of the role that he plays in sort of marshalling the recovery. Amir can, you know, and I think uh, when you look at some of the guys at Red Bull 2 um, that are coming up, you know, I think particularly Edgardo Rito, who's really um, been on everyone's lips recently. If he can develop that kind of ability to attack from a standing start like Amir can, He's going to be an animal. But right now, I don't think even he oh. can contribute oh, yeah. what Amir can in offense. Just simply because Amir has that rare talent of being able to both understand attacking space, like Rito can, and attack that space, but also do have the technical ability to do it from a standing start, which I don't think Rito quite has displayed as much. But that's sort of like the next step for me, yeah. you know? And it would be the other reason why I think yeah. replacing Amir is going to be a bit trickier than I think people realize. But at least we have things in the pipeline that have potential to replicate that in the event that it does happen. Yeah. Oh, it makes me Which more comfortable. Yeah. Obviously, make me a lot more comfortable. Like, if we didn't have anything in that fullback pipeline, like this year, like we do at Ripple 2, and we still suck, we still saw. The types of, it's a shit that we were trotting out the position this year when Kamar and Amir aren't around. Like, I'd be incensed. But, you know, I guess... Um, Imagine yeah, with I mean, Lucas uh, Stauffer. Dear, like, God, God bless these kids. Like, Nico Devera and Lucas Stauffer. God bless them. But if they were still the Red Bull 2 fullbacks this year when we were, like, watching Connor Laid, like, flail around making his hustle plays as people go, go past him, 
uh it would it, it would hurt it would hurt and seeing the gold cup yeah, dude, i would have rage quit than it does right like now. <laughs> if i saw nico devera and like the lineups <laughs> here you know like <laughs> i mean southeast asian solidarity and everything but dude come on man like <laughs> ethan cutler and nico devera that ain't it fam oh that's not it that's not it but Eduardo Rito, Ellen Yanez, Reese Buckmaster, that's it. That's it. That's the good EDS it. shit right there. You know, it's got me all hopped up. Um, feels, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's bleak right now, but the sun comes out eventually, right? Like, it, like they say in Annie, uh, the sun will come out tomorrow. I hope Chris Armis isn't part of tomorrow that's my rewrite for this song <laughs> uh, but i think that kind of does about that does about do it for us here in episode 32 uh do you have any final thoughts you'd like to add um just one for all the brothers of the faith out there harness <laughs> out um <laughs> uh aside from that you know it's going to be a long season people um we have a difficult set of fixtures coming up we will find out if this club is who we thought they were as the great african-american philosopher dennis green <laughs> once said or <laughs> if if this if this club pulls it together and puts puts in a strong run and brings us something that we are hesitant to believe oh in. yeah i mean the, j- j- just something nice would be nice you know we just make a bring in some talent in the summer window because I think that's kind of make a breaker season at this point. But if we if we do nothing in the in the summer window, like it's it's like the summer window is kind of just like a giant shrug because sometimes you get someone positive or sometimes it's just like a project player. But we need something, man. We we if if we don't do anything, it's just gonna be like you're gonna sit there and be like, okay, like burning death needs for two years <laughs> Continually go underdressed, like hell yeah, let's let's do it, boys. Yeah, you know, I think I'd play with. I, I, I would like self-immolate myself in front of Red Bull Arena, demanding Dennis be fired if we don't do anything in the summer window. Kicking off, kicking off the Red Bull Spring, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> self-immolate myself in front of the precess epinotic cart, actually, to really uh, drive the uh, parallels home. And uh, the regime gets toppled in New Jersey, and Rocco Comiso buys us out for three hundred fifty million dollars. Yes, sorry. The Red Cosmos are coming, boys. <laughs> the Red Cosmos forever. Um, yeah, so this is Red Cosmos Fan TV thanking you guys for listening into yet another terrible episode. <laughs> Seeing us post through it. <laughs> if you're still listening at this point, tweet sixty nine at Chris Armis fourteen because Jesus Christ, man, I've had enough of this shit. Um, Tom, thanks for coming on. It was a lot of fun, as usual. Um, quality level weapons grade shit posting, as usual, man. Plutonium grade shit posting is all we do here at Tom Bellows Industries. <laughs> so what caused, that's what caused the oil refinery to blow up, I think. So, um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, fuck the uh, fossil fuel industry. Also tweet 69 to uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump all those guys for supporting the fossil fuel industry. Um, yeah, that does about do it here. So Metro Fan TV saying su- support sustainable energy and 
please fire Chris Armis. Support sustainable well, practices too. That's your fan TV. <laughs> Signing out. Good night.